morning, church. Good to see all of you, although I have to admit when I heard the excitement going out the room, I think I'm going to go back to kids' church. My goodness. I don't know what they've got going on, but it's going to be fun. Ah, uh, Here we are. Uh, I was just checking. I think we're six Sundays away from Christmas. How's your shopping going? Yeah. Uh, hard to believe that, um, but here we are. We're already talking about this. Um, how many of you are starting to get in your email box all of the the uh, Christmas sales and whatnot from all those places that you subscribe to that you've been meaning to unsubscribe from, and you get it once a week now? You're getting it like you know three, four times a week. So yeah. Anyway, that's happening. Um. The series that we're in called I Am the Vine, I, I've been thinking about this a lot. Um, well, for several months, but especially just, just recently. Um, because I'm still very much captured by this idea that there's a difference between believer and disciple. <clears throat> and if I can be completely transparent, the truth of the matter is I've spent a lot of my life being a believer. I'm not, not so sure that I've been a, a disciple. And, and, and I want you to hear something that isn't a condemning thought, right? I'm not sitting here going, oh, woe is me, you know, been a believer, not a disciple, whatever. I think that God gives us bits of information as we need that, right? He, he reveals things to us as we go along. And frankly, it was probably when I was younger, I wasn't ready to receive whatever the difference was. I don't understand that, but I'm just glad that I'm at a position now and can really try to grasp hold of this because the difference between a believer and disciple is the presence of God, is being in his presence, listening to what he says, and then acting upon those things, absorbing the word, living it out, doing it in community with others. There's a whole host of implications to this, but ultimately it comes down to this understanding that there's a difference between a believer and a disciple. And that's what we're trying to explore through this, <clears throat> this, this process. And Jesus gives us this metaphor of a vine, a branch, and, and fruit. And uh, I'm, um, I'm still trying to understand it all. I tried growing a grape vine this year. Did I tell you that? I don't remember. Very interesting. Um, some of you know in, in our backyard we have this deck that has this kind of gazebo-like thing on, on the top of it. And so I planted below the deck a grapevine because I want the grapevine to actually go up the gazebo and then do shade and whatnot. And so it didn't, didn't grow very fast this year. So we'll see how that, how that works out. But um, it's interesting to know that you've got one of those in your backyard and here's this thing that Jesus is talking about. So I'm, I'm wondering if this next year I'm going to observe some things about it. So basically what I'm telling you is we're probably going to come back to this passage at some point in the future, so keep that in mind. But the reality is, if we want to see Jesus' types of change, Jesus' change in the world today, if we want to see things like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, and we want that, right? I mean, we want to see these things. If, if, we, if we really want to grasp hold of those, then we have, to, we have to stay connected to him. We have to get connected and we have to stay connected. And what that really means is not that we're just talking with God, but we're actually listening to what he's saying back to us. 
And I think you've got to come to grips with the fact that, yes, God does speak to you even today. Through his word, of course. Through uh, other people speaking to you, absolutely. But he also gives us impressions. He gives us things that go on in our hearts and our minds. And if we pay attention to it, if we are sheep listening to the shepherd's voice and we know the shepherd's voice, then he's actually speaking to us. And so it's really about that type of presence of God. Am I in the presence? And the thing that I've noticed, I was just having a conversation with this. Um, there's a coffee shop owner here in town uh, who's um, uh, been in ministry for a number of years, and we were, we were talking about this. And I, I said, what, what's, what I'm finding fascinating is, is that very often when I hear God speaking, it's not a feeling. It's not an emotion. You know, because I always thought, you know, like, when Moses was with the burning bush, you know, he was kind of like, you know, sucking the air out of the room, like, oh my gosh, what, you know, and, um, you know, other times, you know, that people, you know, they've been in the presence of God, and they've just kind of fallen flat on their face, and, and all that, and there's, there's this overwhelming emotion, and for me, thus far, that has not been the case, but it's been very clear that this is God speaking, or that this is God guiding and leading, and that kind of thing, which has been new for me, because I'm a feeler. Have you noticed that? Right? I kind of wear my heart out on my sleeve. I'm an emotional type of person and I'm realizing that when God speaks, it's not about the feeling because I think what happens to us is we get so wrapped up in feeling that feeling that we miss the fact that God is speaking and he's got something in mind. So it's this idea of talking and feeling. So we're going to turn, return back to John 15. If you have a Bible, you might want to open it up there. Or if you have a Bible app, go ahead and punch it in. And I'm just going to read the first eight verses again. And I've been doing this every single week because I want to, I want to hear the repetition because there might be some things in here that I didn't see before or there might be some things in, in here that um, you're going to catch that, I, that, that I'm not necessarily pointing out. And that's okay because that's the Spirit speaking to us. Jesus says, I am the true vine and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, he is like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. This is the word of the Lord and we believe it. I want to pick up on a couple of verses. We've already been through verses 1 through 5, but I want you to notice what's happening here in verse 6. <clears throat> if you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up and thrown uh, into the fire and burned. Boy, that just does not sound positive, does it? I, I read that and I, originally I was kind of uncomfortable by it. But notice, whoops, All right, sorry, technical difficulties. There we go. If you do not remain, um, you're like a branch 
that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. Now, I want to want to talk about this a little bit. Um, there's an echo here of, of verse four. Um, you cannot bear fruit without that type of connection. But I think we have to be very, very careful, especially in this passage, because as I remember as a kid growing up, I've heard other pastors preach on this, and it seems that every time Christians come across fire in the Bible, we automatically presume a reference to hell. Have you noticed that? Uh, maybe, maybe not uh, in your church, but some of the churches I've been in, um, that's been the case. That's not what's going on here. I want you to understand this, that that's not what Jesus is talking about here. This is much, this is much more simple than that. It has nothing to do with the fires of hell. It's simple botany. If you are disconnected from the vine, if the branch is disconnected from the vine, um, it's not going to produce fruit. It is going to wither. But, You've seen this when you have, how many of you have like bushes in the front of your house that get a little overgrown from time to time, right? And you got to get out the, the clippers, you know, the ones like the big sheep shears, the great big ones, and it looks like a big blade. Okay, guys, come on. It's just cool, right? For those of us who remember Tim Allen, it's like, oh, yeah. Right? You have to be careful when you do that because if you do it too slow, you sound like Jabba the Hutt. Oh, 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 oh. It's amazing I get anything done. But you get the hedge, the hedge trim, trimmers, right? And you, you go across the top of it and you give it a little bit of a haircut, especially if you've got, you know, those kinds of bushes and it all falls to the ground and it's all green and a couple days later it's brown, right? It's because it's disconnected. You know this. This isn't rocket surgery. This is just basic botany. If you're disconnected from the, the actual plant itself, the vine or the bush, it's going to wither, and die. And so the point here is that it's, it's useless. Now, we don't necessarily burn that because we know that's not the most environmentally friendly thing to do. But what we do is we take it and we put it either in the compost bin or you take it up and you put, leave it for the trash, right? That's the point. The point is, is that it's, it's useless in the sense that it's disconnected. Are, are you getting this? This has nothing to do with being burned up uh, in the fires of hell. But it's deadwood, and deadwood is, is burned and used as fuel for something else. It's a natural consequence. And I, I actually have this in my notes here, a little, little caution sign. Because I wonder, um, this hit me the other day, I'm like, maybe the reason why we see so many dying churches, or maybe why so many young people are leaving the church? Maybe the question is, what are those churches actually connected to? And I'm not trying to be judgmental here. I'm just saying, I mean, if, if Jesus is being clear and using a very natural illustration for it, and we see that there are certain places within Christianity today, American Christianity today, that seem to be dead or dying or, I don't want to say useless because I don't think that's the right word, but not having an effect or being effective or having some type of impact, I have to wonder, what are they connected to? Are, are you tracking with me on this one? I think it's important. 
And I think it's a question of discipleship. It's a question of the difference between, are you, is it a church of believers or is it a church of disciples? I, I have to wonder that. And I'm, I'm not getting that because, um, you know, I'm just feeling particularly cantankerous today. I'm getting that because the text is pretty clear. If you don't remain in me, there's a natural consequence to that. I think it's important that we point that out. Now, <clears throat> notice also in the very next verse, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Um, again, I think we have to have a little bit of care here because it says whatever you wish. Um, if you didn't notice this yet, you will eventually. Jesus is not a genie in a lamp. You just got to rub it the right way and he'll come out and grant you three wishes, right? No. This passage actually reminds me of the illustration that Jesus uses when he says, if you have the faith of a mustard seed, you can look at the mountain, tell it to you know, go into the sea, and it, it, it will go into the sea, right? You remember this? The thought occurs to me, though, that you probably ought not command the mountain to go in the sea unless Jesus directs you to, right? Because otherwise, good luck with that. Because I think what we'd have is a bunch of people practicing, just walking up and going to a mountain and saying, go, anyway, it, hear what I'm saying. What's important here is the fact that if you're connected to him, if you are receiving the life-giving energy that comes from the vine, if you're a branch, you're producing fruit, your nutrients, your energy comes from somewhere. And if you're connected to Jesus and you are receiving that type of life-giving energy from him, um, maybe what you really want is what God wants. Maybe whatever you wish is something that God hopes for you. In other words, there's a change that comes inside of us to the things that we want. So it's not a genie in the bottle, but rather it's aligning ourselves with the vine. What does the vine want? The vine wants to grow. The vine wants to bear fruit. And so when we ask God for things that are kingdom-oriented and fruitful, that's when we begin to see that kind of fruit. Is this making sense? This isn't, this isn't um, like I said, this isn't um, difficult, but I think it's something that we forget. We are changed. It's not that we're changing the environment around us, but we're changing ourselves and aligning ourselves to the things that God wants to do in, in us. And he's directing those things because we're connected. And things aren't happening when we're disconnected. So when we're connected, when we're remaining in him, when we're abiding, some of the uh, translations use that word, abiding, we tend to want what he wants. You know what, here's, here's the interesting thing. Here's the interesting thing. If you want to see the will of God done, if you want to see your prayers answered, the easiest thing to do is find out what God wants and pray that back to him. Right? I mean, think about that. Let's find out what God wants. And by the way, here's the thing. You can write this down. I, I, some of you have heard me say this before, but I think this is really important. Very important. Grab a pen, because you're going to want this. You want to know what God's will is? I'm going to tell you what it is right now. Here it is. Ready? The kingdom of God. 
The will of God is always the kingdom of God. Always, 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 always. There's never a time when he deviates from that. His kingdom is his will. If you want to see the will of God happen in your life, find out what the kingdom is about. Be in his presence, learn about the kingdom, and pray that back to him, and wow, things are going to start happening. Keep that in mind. I think that's important. So we want the things he wants, and and those things that he wants are fruit-producing. He wants growth. He wants fruit. Those are the types of things. The gardener doesn't plant the grapevine to just look pretty. He's trying to produce a crop, and this is important. Now, here's the caution, though. <laughs> the caution is that the fruit that we see, if um, you know, we ask whatever we wish, it will be done for you, um, rarely happens immediately. Have you noticed that? It's not like you pray in Shazam. There it is, right? Very, it's not, and it's not always clear when it's happening. And the other thing I've noticed is that sometimes the things that we pray for that are kingdom-oriented feel very risky. Very risky. Here's the thing. Ask anyway. God's either going to confirm it or deny it. Ask anyway. Take the risk. Ask anyway. Look, if you don't take the credit for something, you'll never have to take the blame. Think about that. I notice this a lot um, when we pray for healing. Have you noticed this? So what we do is we hedge our bets. <clears throat> okay, maybe this is just me, but I don't think it is. What we'll do is somebody will come and we want to pray for their healing. And so we pray for their healing, and uh, we ask, okay, God, um, you know, make them well. And then, but if you choose to use a doctor, oh, give that doctor wisdom, right? Or please be in that surgery room with the doctors and nurses that the doctor would have a good night's sleep and a steady hand. Yes, we should be praying for all of those things. I'm not suggesting that we don't. It's a risky prayer to ask God to heal. And God may choose to use other means besides supernatural in order to accomplish his purposes. I totally get that. I totally understand that. But the point is, is that the kingdom of God is about producing fruit. And so we pray for that person. We listen to what God is saying to us about them and we continue to pray over them. And then we trust him for whatever the outcome is going to be. That's risky. Especially if you don't know the person real well. And you know what? I've noticed this too. It's risky if you do know the person well. It's risky either way to pray for stuff like that. But pray anyway, because ultimately, if we want the things that God wants, and we want what's best for people, then we can ask him for that, and it will be done. We just don't necessarily have, what's the word I'm looking for? We don't necessarily have the right to decide how. It's up to God, the how. But the result is what we're praying for, if that makes sense. So keep that in mind as we're kind of going through this. I think that's an important thing to remember. Verse 8. This is probably my favorite one. Whoops. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit. <laughs> God wants fruit. That's why he planted it in the first place. Showing yourselves to be my, what's the word? Disciples. Disciples. That's the word here. Not believers, disciples. 
This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit. I think this is an important thing to keep in mind because disciples are producing real fruit and that fruit is evidence that God is at work. So here's the thing. Don't ever dismiss how much God values things like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, etc., etc. God values those things, largely because they're all wrapped up in his character, but the point is he values those things, so don't dismiss them. God is after those things in your heart for you to produce them because it shows that we're his disciples and it's to his glory. I think that's an important thing. Now, um, this has been an interesting um, passage to kind of unpack over the last few weeks. Um, but I, I, I'm left with a question. Um, as you know, I typically is it's very typical for me. I, I just I'm left with this question. <clears throat> what are the things that cause us to wither? Because remember, I mean, Jesus is pretty clear about this, right? If you don't remain in me, so what are the things that come along that disconnect us from Him? What are those things that cause us to wither? And this is worth thinking about because um, life happens and the next thing you know, it's been weeks since we've prayed. It's been weeks since we've been to church. It's been weeks since we've actually connected with other people. It's been weeks since we've had any type of spiritual conversation with anybody in our circle of family or friends. Right? Does this happen to you? I think it does. Don't lie to me. You're in church. <laughs> right? But I think it's important for us to think about this because it, there are things that disconnect us and we have to be careful of them. And, and I've come up, I don't know, four or five of them. Maybe you've got some more, but here, here's a few that I think that have, that have occurred. The first one is sin. That's pretty obvious. Sin disconnects us from, from God. Now, <clears throat> There is a, 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 a doctrine of sin. Um, and I think, um, without getting too technical, that when, uh, let me just put it this way. When I grew up, the sense was that there was this list of, of, of heavenly rules. And that, it, I, I, this is just me, I imagine that it was on a great big, for whatever reason, gold type of plaque somewhere up in heaven. And there was God, arms folded, looking at that and looking at me going, nope, you blew that one. Uh, almost like it's like this, this like spiritual gotcha, right? Ah, you didn't do that one right. And, 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 and this is kind of perpetuated by this idea that, that God hates sin, and he does, um, but that it's a standard of, uh, against which that we're all measured. And I don't think that's the case at all. And hear me out. Because I think what happens is that God loves us so much and he wants to be related to us. He wants to be in relationship. He wants the give and take of conversation. He wants us to be. That when sin enters the picture, it erects a barrier between the, 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 the two of us and God hates that. Does this make sense? There's a barrier there. Now, 
let's, let's talk about this in human terms. When you've, um, let's say you, you had a relationship with someone, maybe it's a spouse, maybe it's a family member, maybe it's a friend, maybe it's a coworker, whatever, and let's say you've done something to either hurt them or offend them or cause them, you know, some amount of aggravation, whatever it happens to be, right? There's a break in your relationship. You, you choose, whatever it is, right? And you know you've done it. How many of you, that's the first person you want to go talk to? Nope. I'm going to avoid that person like the plague, Right? Uh, they're over there coming down the same street, I'm crossing to the other side, right? And, and we do this. The same thing is true with God. When we've done something that breaks that relationship with him, I find it very interesting. The last person that I want to talk to is God, right? There is a relational component to sin that I don't think gets enough attention. God hates that. God despises the fact that there's this break in relationship that we have with him. And so sin becomes this barrier. And I find this really interesting. You remember the story of the woman caught in adultery? You get a whole group of people who are ready to stone her. And Jesus, you know, makes this great statement. He says, you know, those of you without sin cast first stone. And it says that, that uh, the men, typically men, started dropping stones, starting with the oldest because they've had more time to sin, right? And, and so they start. But then at the end, there's this beautiful conversation. And Jesus isn't even paying attention. He finally gets up and he looks at the woman. He says, is there anybody to condemn you? No, then neither do I. But what does he say the very last thing? Go and sin no more. And, and that, that's always struck me because it's like, I'm not here to condemn you, but Go and sin no more. Now, there's a whole lot of things that we can say about that, but there's a lesson in here, I think, that sin is that thing that disconnects us. Don't disconnect from God. I think that's at least one of the lessons that comes out of there. Go and sin more. And by the way, that's not a condemning thing. Like, I, I know that you really have. I know that you have. But he says, no, go and sin no more. That's not a condemning thought. That's hopeful. Oh my gosh, that's a hopeful thing. Don't sin anymore. Stay connected is ultimately what Jesus is saying, I think. So sin. Sin causes us to wither. Here's another one. Pride. Ooh, I heard some mmm on that one. And, and really what this is saying is, you know, sin erects a barrier, but, but pride ultimately says, I don't need connection. And it's very subtle. It's this very subtle way of disconnecting. I don't need connection. I don't need God. And Jesus said, everyone who exalts themselves will be humbled. At some point, better to exercise humility on the front end rather than to be humiliated on the back end, I think. But pride will cause us to do that. I don't, I don't need connection. Um, yeah, you do. I'm a big fan of, of American ingenuity. I'm a big fan of kind of the, you know, pull yourselves up by your bootstraps kind of American, you know, know-how. But that's not a biblical concept. It's not biblical. Instead, we're supposed to live life in community. We need to be connected to other people. We need to be connected to God. So pride will very often disconnect us. 
So sin, pride. Here's another one. <laughs> Pain. Whether that's physical or emotional or psychological, pain, especially in our past. And what disconnects us is we say, why me? Or even, even more so, God, why did you allow that to happen to me? That's probably a sermon by itself. But I'm struck when Jesus is in Jerusalem, he goes by a pool. And around this pool, there's a group of sick and infirmed people. You know the story. And the legend is that occasionally uh, a spirit, a genie, (laughs) will stir the waters. And whoever sees the waters stir first and dives in is immediately healed. And so there's this large group of people who are sick. And Jesus is walking by and he finds a person, a man who has been lame for a long time. And he's talking to him. And the first question, do you know what he asks? Do you want to be well? Because sometimes our, our identities are wrapped up in the pain. And I know a lot of people like that. They don't recognize it, but their identity is wrapped up in pain. If I don't have this pain, if I'm actually healed, who am I? So when we ask that question, God, why did you allow that to happen to me? I don't think that he did allow that to happen to you. But we serve a God of redemption who restores and renews. And the question is, do you want to be well? I'm not trying to downplay what happened to you. Mm-mm, not going to do that. But I think it's the question that we have to ask, do you want to be well? Because pain will disconnect us from God. We begin to blame God for those things. and I think that's misplaced. Sin, pride, pain. Here's another one. Ignorance. And I don't mean that disrespectfully. Please, I don't. <clears throat> Ignorance disconnects us from God. Well, why do I need to be disconnected? That sounds a little bit like pride, but it's, it's a little different. I think, I think you can question that. Why do I need to be connected? And I think more importantly, and the one that I see more often, is that people ask the question, how do I be connected? I'm ignorant as to how to be connected. And here's the thing. The only way to learn it is by doing. And that's why we've, we've done the series on spiritual practices. Um, a couple months ago and did the labs. Choosing something, whether it's prayer, meditation, whether it's study, whether it's any number of those types of practices out there, the reason why we have you do those is because that's a way of getting to know the Father's voice. It answers the question, how? And, and some of those are going to be um, more attractive to you than others. That's okay. God made us different. And so he gave us multiple channels, multiple ways, multiple pathways in order to connect with him, and I think that's fine. I think I've said this before. I have a friend of mine who he connects with God best when he's outside, you know, having a conversation is great, and he's willing to do that, but when he really feels the presence of God, he has, he has to be outdoors. That's just his thing. I know other people, they've got to have worship music. Music, they just kind of get lost in it, right? And other people, they pray. We have a friend that talked about her before. Her name is Heather. She can spend hours in prayer. I, don't, I can't do that. I fall asleep, right? But she just, that's how she connects with God, and I think that's an important thing. And so 
learning those types of things and how we connect, how we hear his voice becomes a very important part of the process. And, and so ignorance, the only way to get over ignorance is by doing, is by learning. And you know what that takes more than anything else? Courage. You just gotta try. You gotta take the step and just trust that God's gonna meet you where you're at and lead you the rest of the way. So sin, pride, pain, ignorance. And here's the last one. And you know it's coming. One of the things that disconnects us, probably the thing I see more than anything else, is shame. Shame. I'm unworthy. I'm not good enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not pretty enough. I'm not talented enough. I'm not whatever it happens to be. I've heard that. So many variations on that theme. I, I've lost count. Shame shows up in how you talk to yourself. I have heard things come out of people's mouths that they would never say to another human being, but they say it to themselves all the time. I have heard things that if you and I were walking down the street and somebody said to you what you said to yourself, I would punch that person in the mouth for you. And yet we do this to ourselves all the time. Now, occasionally things happen where you just sit there, stupid, 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 right? (laughs) And I understand that, but the point is you're not stupid. What you are is you're angry. You're upset that this happened, but the words that come out of your mouth is very often the shame that's really in your heart. And that is the thing that will disconnect you from God because if I feel that way about myself, how can God feel any different about me? I'm not worthy of that. No, you're not. That's why we have grace. That's okay. God still loves you even though you say those things about yourself. Shame is a monster that will eat you up from the inside out. And I probably see this in in suburban Americans more than anything else. God, Paul writes, God selected you. Yes, you. Not you collectively, you individually. God selected you. So when you think that you're not worthy or you're not good enough, or you're not smart enough, disbelieve the lie because that's what it is. It's a lie. Jesus selected you. You are enough. And notice the way you talk to yourself, please. Notice the words that come out of your mouth in relationship to yourself. It's abusive. Stop it. Don't do that. Those are the times when you're feeling that way. You go to God and you say, God, this is the way I'm feeling about myself. What do you say about me? And let him speak that truth. Because eventually, that truth begins to replace the lie. And you can say, nope, that's an accusation that I do not have to believe. And Satan, if you want to accuse me of that, you can take it up with Jesus. By the way, I'm not there yet, but I want to be. And I want everybody else to, to move in that direction too because shame, shame will cause you to wither so fast. 
So if you're, um, if you're journaling or if you're doing some other type of discipline and you're trying to connect with God, then here's my question for you, and it's, it's, it's a big one. It's just, hey, what's withering you? What's that thing that's disconnecting you? And, and it's fine to ask him that and just say, God, I'm not feeling connected. I'm not hearing your voice. Lord, would you please reveal to me the thing, whatever it is that's between us, that the reason why I can't hear you and, and, and allow him to speak to that in your life and, and in those moments. And it, it's not magic. It's, it's persistence. It's just asking him. And sometimes it's just having the courage to say, oh God, I want to be more connected. What's keeping me from being that way? See what he says. And by the way, you're not alone in this. <laughs> um, we're here to pray for you. We're here to walk with you. We're here to give you ideas. We're really good at ideas. We're so good at that. Um, but more importantly, we don't want you to feel like you're doing this by yourself. So like always, Pastor James and I will be in the back. We're happy to do that for you. But you know what? If, if this is uncomfortable for you, hey, that's cool. Shoot us a note. Uh, pull us off to the side and just say, hey, you know what? Um, this presence of God thing, this idea of, of remaining in him and being connected, this is new for me. I would, I'd like to talk to you about We're We love coffee. We'd love to sit down and have coffee with you and to talk about it. Or if that's uncomfortable, come on over to the office. We'll sit down and chat. The point is, is that this is so important because the difference between a believer and a disciple is the presence of God, and I want you to be in the presence of God. And not just on Sunday. It's something that you carry with you each and every way.